busy with us today. Again, thank you for being here. We uh, started this a little while back. But God is looking at some of the attributes of God. We're not doing a uh, big, long study of all of the attributes of God. Uh, we are just looking at a few. Um, and with those few, we're not doing an exhaustive study. Um, you know, when you hear God is righteous, God is God is merciful, God is holy. You could take those and, and do a lot with them. You could study those for some time. And so we're just kind of scratching the surface on some of these uh, big kind of names of God, attributes of God, and why He is called and why in Scripture He is all these things, and again, my, my heart is that it would stir up devotion to God like never before to love Him, and uh, so we're not going to, again, we're not going to look at all of these, but just a few. Um, last week's message I began this from kind of a part two. Um, I'll just kind of do an overview that one of the names that God has given, again, throughout Scripture, we're not going to look at all the Scriptures that call Him righteous judge, but He is a judge. He is called just from his name. Um, and when we hear this, the name mentioned God being the judge can maybe kind of stir up a lot of emotions where a lot of fear, uncertainty, uh, it's not intended to. Now, based on what what your upbringing or what you have heard, a lot of times that God uh, or people have used God in a way that kind of makes him you know, something that he is not, and how we see God and how we perceive God in our hearts. And some of us grew up a certain way, and we we just look at God and see that he's just angry all the time, right? And we hear righteous judge, and so it makes us a little nervous, but we think about religious groups that have, I think, hijacked the name of God and used it for destructive purposes, um, or we think of somebody yelling at people on the street corner, screaming at people. Um, that is not the mindset that we should have when we hear that God is the righteous judge. And again, as I pray, the idea that He's a righteous judge is it begins in the place that He is for our good. Right? He is for our good. At the creation of mankind, when God created Adam and Eve, and then mankind was on the earth, God them with the righteous judge. Now, again, he doesn't step out of one attribute. He is merciful and a righteous judge at the same time. He doesn't step out of one attribute and become another. But as a righteous judge, what he did was he said, I want to, I want to set standards and parameters for you for your good. And I used this illustration last week, but we can see it with our own children. Or if you have a, a, a child in your life that you love and they are little and they are heading towards danger, um, you're going to bring them back. Now, they might not, they, they're probably not going to stop and thank you if they are two or three years old. We see it a little bit with Zai. You know, Judah's getting a little older and he's learning. Zai just runs towards something where he wants to. Now, the thing is, when he's done eating, he's got a little booster. He sometimes wants to stand up on the booster seat, and we're all starting to go, whoa, you know, and, and you grab him, you go, no, no, and, and, and then you see the little whisper, you know, and, and you've, like, stolen my fun, and it's like, no, I'm saving you from, uh, you know, a broken arm. And we see from a perspective what I want you to kind of understand and see it from that perspective, you hear that God is like He says, when He sets up parameters and standards for us in life. As his children, it is for our good. 
He wants us to flourish, but yes, we set up parameters. Just like we would set up parameters, you, know, you wouldn't just go tell a kid, you know, to go play in the street. It's like, you know, you just go run in the road and have a, have a ball. I don't want to squelch your joy. He would say, no, I, I, I want best for you. I love you. So when we see God as righteous, just know that He is for us. Even David, and I love, you know, David, several of the Psalms, you hear him talking about the laws of the Lord. God is a just judge. David even says, I love your laws. I meditate on your laws. Because why would David say that? He said, I lay in bed and I meditate and I love the laws of the Lord. Well, you know, a lot of us are not thinking like, you know, hmm, I, let, me, let me just meditate. I love your law. But what was David seeing? Okay, this is before Jesus came, but he had this understanding that there was this promise from God that God is relational, that it's for my good, he loves me. That's why he says it. Hebrews 12 talks about the discipline of the Lord that he treats as his children when he disciplines us. He doesn't leave us to our own devices, but when he convicts and he lovingly brings consequences into our lives, it's not to bring you down, but it's because he loves you. And so just a couple of scriptures, again, these are not exhaustive. We're going to kind of, um, well, first of all, let me, let me hit this one. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 4, I was just meditating on this. Here's Paul to this, this, this pastor, this young pastor. And because of the God of Jesus Christ, who will what? Judge the living and the dead, and the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. And so Paul's telling Timothy, I give you this charge because God is a judge, he's going to judge everyone. And here's the precedence that we say, the standards and what we begin when we talk about God's righteous judge. What does he say? Preach the word. That's where we find his precedence. That, word, that is where we find who he is, his standard. Preach the word. Be prepared in season out of season. Correct and you can encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, I didn't do this because I'm a pastor. I'm just pastor. Just so that I put up there and say I get to correct and review you. I do get to that. But encourage also. But there's a, again, you got to see through the lens of what it do you mean by correct and review is for your good and my good. That's why we need each other. With great patience, careful, and such for the time will come, what will happen when people will not put up with sound doctrine, right teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, what are they going to do? They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. In other words, things that sound like really good, but they're not true. We all have preachers in our lives. We all have messages. We all get our information from somewhere. Right? And a lot of times what we like is we will bring and we will surround ourselves with the things that we like to hear that support our view. And that's why we need the Word of God, because it is alive, it's powerful, it is the words of the Lord, it is God-breathed, as we're told, it is the standard of truth, and that's where we find truth. There's no other truth outside the Word of God. And so Paul's warning says, in the presence of God, and who will judge the living and the dead? He is going to judge. And so let's look at these scriptures again very quickly. God is judged. Um, you saw these last week. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Second Timothy 4 8. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He's talking about a reward and judgment which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. He is a judge. 
He is a righteous judge. He is the one and only righteous judge. He is sovereign over all. He is in supreme control over everything. As judge, he provides over everyone and everything. Here's some biblical descriptions of his judgments. Again, I'm not going to leave not out there. But his justice, his justice is perfect, right, true, sure, fair. In other words, he does not have the ability to wrongly or unfairly judge. He doesn't have the ability to do it. And so, having this revelation, let's go to the next one. I'm going to just quickly say this. The enemy will try to get us in two extremes with this revelation. Okay, God is the right to if you're like me, the first one is the first extreme. I grew up in a very legalistic, you know, terror, like unholy fear of God. There's a right fear of God, like a reverence and honor, but there's this unholy where you are. Your, your motivation is that you're constantly afraid to go to hell. Anybody, anybody understand this that wrong with you? That was the motivation of your relationship with God is, I just don't want to go there. The only problem is it just doesn't... After a while, it doesn't, it doesn't connect with you because if God is God loving, is He want relationship with me? And I learned that stuff as I, as I, when I became an adult that He loves me and He wants best for me. He was just living day to day in fear. I hear this story, you know, it's like when it's six and seven, you come in the house and it's empty. You think the rapture is taking place and everyone's gone but you. You've been left behind. You know. Remember the song? Some of you guys remember that? The six year old going, <laughs> behind, I'm all alone. That's one extreme legalism. Uh, unholy fear or works driven. You begin to get works driven. It, it, it's, I'm going to do good works so that God won't be mad at me and he won't judge me. So I'm going to be motivated by good works. We are created to do good works. But the good works are not what save us, right? What saved us is the free gift of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus that He's given us life and we receive it like a gift. And so that, that, that's salvation. The good works are because I love Him, I want to do good works and follow Christ because Jesus did good works. But the other extreme is permissive self-government of universalism. It's I make, the, I make the rules or God doesn't mean that when He says that... Um, you know, this uh, kind of uh, like self-autonomy. I'm the God of my own, you know, I, I, I'm my own God. I might even have Jesus right here. I like Jesus, but ultimately his standards, well, he doesn't mean that with his standards, and he doesn't mean that with his, and then we have this kind of permissive idea or universalism, because God is, that all roads lead to the same place, you know, that everybody ends up in heaven, the problem is that the Bible doesn't say that. We have to get our truth in Scripture. So what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why he said, I am the door. One of his names is that I am the door. You can't get there without going through me. My salvation that I offer. Is it exclusive? Yes. Jesus said, I didn't. So we have to stay away from these two extremes. And so now the reality is that if God is judged, that we will be judged and given account to the Lord. When we die, we will stand before Him. 
couple scriptures that tell us that. Let's go to the next. Hebrews 9, 27. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So Christ is sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Romans 14, 12. So that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. These are just a couple. Again, I gave a lot more last week. Um, this is just kind of the setup. If he is a righteous judge, we will be judged. We will stand before him, just us and him. On that day, there, there's a day of judgment for every person on planet Earth. And I said this last week, I'll briefly touch on there's, there's two judgments given in the Bible. There is the believer's judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. That is where we as believers, if you're following Christ, you've lived for Him, you've given your life to Him, He is the Lord of your life. It's called a believer's judgment. In other words, you will be judged on how you lived for Christ. And there are rewards given by Christ Himself to us, but it's how we follow Jesus. We're told in Revelation that He is going to wipe tears from our eyes. What are those tears? I believe He's going to embrace us, but we're going to have regrets. There is a righteous judgment right even for believers. There may be opportunities that we miss, but ultimately it's not a judgment to, um, you know, to, 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 to destruction, but it's saying this is a stewardship judgment. Both are our stewardship judgments, but this is how did you live for me? And He will wipe those tears. He will embrace us. He will say, well done. The other one is the great white throne of judgment. This is the judgment of unbelievers. Now again, I, I won't get into all of the passages, but several places in the scriptures we are told about a judgment of, of unbelievers, a place, a literal place called hell that was not created for people. If you look at the parables of Jesus, he just said that it's for Satan and his angels. But those who reject Christ and the gift of salvation, in other words, the prison door has been opened for us, we, we, I said last week, we're all guilty of sin. We've fallen short of God's standard of Jesus. We deserve death. And we need to understand this. If you don't think that you deserve eternal death, then, you're, then you're, 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 you're not going to understand salvation. I deserve death. Christ paid the price for me. He's given me a gift. He's opened the prison door. And I refuse to walk out. And those people who will be under their own judgment, that's why I can say that a loving God is in sin. People can hell. He simply gives them in His sovereignty what they choose. The gift been given, which can't make someone take a gift. They have to take it after they receive the gift. So that was very quickly about the judgment. But we will all give an account. Don't let that bring undue fear. Let it bring the fear of the Lord and honor and reverence of the Lord that He is the judge. There's nobody else that will be a judge. It's only God is righteousness and He will judge according to Jesus. The standard will be Jesus. What did we do with Christ? What did we do with the gift of salvation? What, we, what did we do with the cross of Christ? That is the standard of judgment. And so then, what is our what should our response be? And I'm going to get into that in a moment, but I'm going to look and we're going to kind of go into the cartoon scriptures today. So the last passage, you know, write these down, feel free. You can read these later, but you might want to write them down. Um, but here we're going to talk a little bit more about even what Christ is. Here's what Jesus says. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Now, this is not just belief that I believe it like I believe that this chair is sitting in. The belief in the Bible, when it says, believe on me, you'll have eternal life. This is belief 
to the point where it changes the way I live and I follow Christ and I give Him my life. It's not just a head knowledge belief. But he says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son, and there's a, there's a, he's tying in believing and obeying. Obeying the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Now, as I've said all along, when we see God's anger, His wrath, His jealousy, if you will, those attributes of God, do not immediately go to a human way of reasoning and thinking. God has a righteous anger. He cannot sin. He cannot do any wrong in His anger. His anger is for our good. It's the same thing as if you are correcting your child and you're correcting your child, and there is a righteous anger that might rise up in you as a parent. But ultimately, what are you thinking? It's not that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm done with you, kid. I want best for you. Please understand that. But Jesus Himself said there is a judgment. But you have life if you will believe in God's Son. Let's go to the next one here. Paul, Romans 2, 68. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Now, let me pause right there. Doing good. This is not just doing good works to salvation. The ultimate good, the ultimate good is to give your life to Christ completely in surrender. Keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. And I think that's the third year. But He will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. See what? It's I have become autonomous in myself. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to make the rules. I'm going to I'm going to abide by my own laws. I'm not going to listen to Scripture. I will set all the rules and parameters of my life. And that's what he's saying. People probably are wrath on those who what, live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. God has made a way. He's given us the standard of truth. I will be over here doing my own thing. It's not, again, it's not intended to be heavy and weighty. I'm hoping that it makes you love God more. In a moment, we're going to see how we can approach God as judge in the right way. And then John 5, let's look at Jesus again. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life, they will never be condemned for their sins. Isn't that good news? They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in Himself, and He has granted that same life-giving power to His Son. Next slide. And He has given Him authority to judge, and so Jesus has judged everyone because He is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will appear of God's Son, in the voice of God's Son. And they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. Those who have continued to evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own, Jesus, that I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Do you understand? The reason why I'm giving you a lot of scripture is I don't want to just give you my opinion on this. There is a scriptural pattern and precedent and foundation here, and that's why I encourage you to receive this in your heart. I'm trying to steer clear from just what maybe I think of it. Here's the scripture of what Jesus himself said. And so God's judgment, let's go to the next slide. God's judgment 
will be a stewardship judgment. All right? Over and over in Jesus' parables when he's talking about judgment, he says this. He says, you know, what you want to hear, remember he has several times where he has these three people and they have talent or they have, you know, they have money and it's not necessarily talking about necessarily these talents or money, but what he's doing is he's giving a parable about what are you doing with what you have been given to it. Remember I said at the beginning um, of this that, that God is the store owner. He's the owner of the life. We are merely managers. We're not the owner. And so we abide by the parameters of what the owner says. The owner has written the manual. The owner has set the standards. The owner has made the rules. We as stewards, over and over here, Jesus used these and these are the words that we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant or manager or steward. In other words, you were faithful to the life I gave you. You were faithful to that which I gave to you. And then in those parables where he says, take this wicked servant and cast him out, where there are where weeping and gnashing of teeth, you hear that kind of almost a horrific picture. And what they have done is they have lived for themselves. They have rejected God as owner, and they said, I will be the owner, not you. And so I get to do what I want with my life. And so the question is, who is the owner of your life? Who is the owner of your life? Now let's look at uh, what Paul says here in the areas of life when we talk about spiritual management. Paul says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So you, what is he saying? You're the owner, you, you, you kind of push God to the side, and you follow the desires of your the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other things like these. Let me tell you again and again, receive this as God's loving heart for you. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Scripture, this is God's life for us. He wants best for us. And so you can look in all these areas, and Paul says he's in several places where he kind of lit, like similar lists like this. And what he's doing is he's saying you're taking these areas of your life and you've become owner. And you have rejected the parameters of God, like sexual immorality. And so he just uses this big umbrella word. And so then you go, well, what does he mean by sexual immorality? Well, we have to say, then what is sexual morality? What is God's standard? Not what we think the standard is. What is God's standard? And God's standard in Scripture, as you see over and over again, because that's why it's the truth. Now, we don't make the truth because sexual morality is sexual contact between a husband and wife in marriage. Everything else is sexual morality. That's what he's saying. What are you doing? He wrote the manual on it. He set the standard. He set the parameters. And a lot of times we, as believers, we can, you know, and this is a letter to believers, we can maybe get lost in the big things that the world does. But he talks about quarreling. He talks about dissension and division. Those things can creep into the church. And we can 
look at other people and, 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 and kind of say, well, those are these big, huge sins of the world that maybe miss out on what, what, what is going on in my own life. Selfish ambition, anger. But again, He wants best for us. Now, let me tell you, let me, as you're looking at this list and you're like, oh man, I rested with Does that mean that I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God? There is, in Scripture, this idea that, in, in, in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 talks about, there's a difference between struggling with something as you're walking with Christ and willful rebellion and Does that make sense? There's a distinction in Scripture. If you're dealing with some of these and you are walking with Christ and you recognize and you recognize the conviction, you go, you know what? I know it's not right. And I'm walking in repentance and I'm saying, Lord, help me, deliver me. And you fall because Proverbs says the righteous man falls seven times, but what? Gets back up. Notice that he doesn't say the righteous man never falls. So the righteous man falls, but he gets back up and he gets back up and he says, I want to be back in right relationship with God. I recognize what I'm struggling with here. I recognize, uh, we, we would see it in Hebrews where they call it besetting sins, those things that all of us have that, those, that thing or maybe a couple things that we struggle with. And my besetting sins or the things I struggle with may not be yours. And we, we all deal with that stuff. But it, the idea is that we are in relationship with God. We recognize it. We don't justify it. We don't make an excuse for it. We say it's wrong, God. I recognize it. God, help me. Deliver me. Give me strength. Oh, I fell. I'm going to get back up. And God's grace is there. Again, not that we're making excuses for it and go, well, that's just how I'm going to be. Whatever. Big deal. That's not what I'm talking about. Hebrews 10 says, very strongly, there remains no sacrifice to your sins when you continually, willfully rebel. That's the difference. That's what Paul's talking about. Is I, I know it's wrong, or the Bible says it's wrong, and I don't care. I'm, I'm calling this God. It's not wrong. I don't think it's sin. I, I, I will, I will do whatever. Yeah, you can tell me whatever. I don't care. And even to the point where maybe I know that it's going to be done in my heart, but I don't care. I'm going to continue to make my own rules. I'll be the owner. That willful rebellious thing. That's what Paul is talking about. When you continually willfully rebel, you won't inherit the kingdom. So I hope that you understand the difference there. Paul says in Romans 7, remember when he says in Romans 7, we battle. I said this last week. Remember, he, he said there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit in me. Because when you come to Christ and you surrender your life to Christ, your flesh doesn't die yet. Okay? Your flesh dies when you die. And so he says, while I'm alive, I, I, there's, a, there's a wrestle, the spirit man, the flesh man. And then he says, and Paul says this, he says, I do the things I don't want to do sometimes. Those things I know I need to do, I, I don't do them. Aren't you glad that the Apostle Paul had that kind of struggle? Anybody else? That's me. That's you. And through Romans 7 is to encourage us. And notice he doesn't say, oh, well, this is how I am. Who cares? He says, there's a, there's, a war, it's, 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 there's a war in me, but I keep going forward. And then he says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ. Because he says, who can help me? Who can rescue me? Thanks be to God, excuse me. And so the humility, he says, I continue to give my heart, my life to Jesus every day. Yes, I'm going to wrestle. 
want to rest of Jesus Don't quit. Don't give up when you're wrestling and struggling. That's what, you know, these guys are scary. It's like, you know, that, that intimidation. Well, I don't want to go to church. They have it all figured out there. Please don't believe that. It's the biggest support group ever right here. We need God. We need each other. And so we deal with that kind of those sinful things, but let me let me give you another one. This is, I would have to argue, the most frightening passage in the Scripture. Because I want it to be, and again, again why, don't, why am I saying this as a pastor? Why, why do we talk about this? This is a part of Scripture. It's because, again, God wants best for you, and we can talk about, like, obvious things, right? You know, I'm sexual morality, or I'm lying, or I'm, you know, doing this and this and this. This next passage I want to use as a warning to us as followers of Jesus to be very careful how we approach God. But I want you to look at this. It's the most frightening passage in the scripture for me. Jesus says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So people are saying, Lord, Lord. Just because you say he's Lord doesn't mean he is Lord. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. That's, that, that, that little sentence, you need to get that in your heart. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. In other words, I'm following God's standard. I'm walking after the things of God. On Judgment Day, all right, verse 22, on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. Well, if you going to say, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That, to me, is the most frightening passage in Scripture. Why is that? Because he is dealing with heavy hitters that look like in the Christian church. Right? When you're casting out demons, prophesying, and doing miracles in the name of Jesus, those are heavy hitters. Those are very charismatic, gifted men. But the problem is, is why would he say, depart from me, I never knew you? It's because they are deceived. You know what the problem with deception is? I don't think I am. The problem with deception is, it's, you can see, you're deceived, not me. Or what Paul called Timothy sound doctrine. You know what? You know what a lot of us find sound like not not a, not abiding by self doctrine. Sound doctrine is it's your problem, not mine. Because my doctrine is sound. Jesus is warning that there is a deception that can come on people, believers, heavy hitters that are in the body of Christ. Other people can see, man, they are so godly. Look, they cast out demons, they prophesy, they do miracles in the name of them. Man, those people are awesome, and we can kind of maybe put them up on pedestal. And Jesus said, there's going to be a group of people that are going to stand before me on that day, and he's going to say, I don't, I don't know you. Now, here's, here's the frightening thing. All right, you're standing before Jesus on Judgment Day. Right, he's in all of his glory. You would think that the natural response is, on my knees, you are just and fair and true. There's going to be people debating with Jesus on judgment. There's going to be people that were in churches that were doing big hitting stuff, and he's going to say, I never knew you. What's the word no there? At some point, 
is, the word know there is about relationship. I never knew you. You know how you can know facts about someone but you don't know them? You know, we can have people maybe that we, in our lives, maybe sports heroes or actors or actors, musicians, we can have know their favorite color or what they like to do. But if you walked up to them and said, you know, hey, I know your favorite color and what you like to do and that you're a human. And they're going to say, who are you? And at some point, people in giftedness think that Jesus endorses them because they are gifted. And then they have rejected knowing Him. Not only to walk in relationship with Him, I'm good. I can do all these great gifted things because the Bible says the giftings of God are without repentance, so we can do them with or without God. So people are going to be there, and there's a, there's a delusion of deception. They look like Christians, but they aren't. They're basing standing before God on works or spiritual works. But again, first Corinthians 13, remember the love chapter? Paul says you can speak in tongues, you can, have, you can prophesy, you can have faith that moves down, but if you don't have love, the prophets do nothing. Now, now this is love defined by Scripture. This is self-sacrificial love. This is a relationship of self-sacrifice. I give my life to you. I need you. I'm not just awesome because I have gifts. In fact, if we have gifts, spiritual gifts, it always should point people to Christ. They should be talking about how awesome Jesus is, not how awesome you and I are. He said, you can have faith, you can give your body to be burned without self-sacrificial love that prophets you. Nothing. He wants relationship created up to relationship. What is that relationship that means committed, surrendered, repentant relationship with Jesus over day? So what should we do? How do we walk and not walk in willful sin, spiritual pride or deception? Let's go to what Jesus said. Here's how we don't walk in that. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. He modeled it for us while he was on the earth. Because though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of his place and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself what in obedience to God died a criminal death on the cross. And so the way we stay away from delusion and deception is we have the same attitude that Jesus did. We walk in humility and listen to this and himself in obedience to God. He achieved glory through humility. We achieve His righteousness through humility. We are obedient to God. So what did God, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. Here's the good news. So now you have this heavy weight, maybe, but God's getting ready to lift it off of you. We do need to understand the reality that God is a judge. We stand before Him. But let's look at what God did in His justice, in His sovereign justice. Let's go to the next one. That's, um, yeah, okay, all right. So therefore, God has made Him a place of high honor. This is a continuation. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, for every knee is going to bow on heaven and earth, and every tongue will declare what Jesus is Christ is. Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Everyone's going to bow their knee before Jesus. We can do it voluntarily here, or you're going to do it voluntarily there. 
and we, that's why that's why we need to pray for people and you know, people that maybe you get angry with or frustrated with or you feel atheist or angry atheist. Um, instead of being just so angry and pray for them, because this is you know, um, you know, you, you think of people that are just kind of have this angry idea of the Lord. Uh, Richard Dawkins, he's going to bow his knee. He's going to declare that Jesus Christ. Atheist doesn't believe in God, calls God all kinds of names. We need to pray for him because it's going to be an eye awakening thing. But he will hit his knees and he will look at Christ and he will say, You are the Lord. You are exactly who they say you are. And he will bow his knee on that day as everyone else. So we can do it here or do it there. God, let's go to the next one. Sorry about that. Here's, here's what God did in the supreme justice. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, but he sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteous of God in him. That's the good news of Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. That's why we preach the cross, we preach salvation, that God in his justice, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus himself took on us and he became sin itself to endure the, to God's wrath so that we didn't have to. The debt's been paid. The death penalty has been paid for all of us. Here's what it says in Isaiah. Boom, Isaiah. Yes. Yet it was our weakness he carried. Aren't you glad he carried the weakness? It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. And that's what we're talking about. The people of God rejected him that day. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. And we rebelled. And God crushed Jesus. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was ripped so we could be healed. All of us are sheep that strayed away. That's the humble part. We're all like sheep and we can wander away and we can veer off. We've left God's path all our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That is good news. So how can we stand on Judgment Day with confidence? Let's, let's look at that. Facing God's judgment with confidence. Let's go to the first one. Number one in great humility. Realizing I can't do it without him. You guys hear those words at the beginning of the service? I can't do it without him. Realizing that I can be deceived, and what Paul said in, in, in Philippians is humble obedience to God. Day to day, I need you, I need you, and I'm going to need you again. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to need you. Every hour, I need you. Great humility, I can't do this now on my own. I don't want to get, like I think that I'm far enough down the, the road and, and, and that all of a sudden I don't need him more and more. I need him more and more and more and more. I was praying last week, I'm like, Lord, when I was praying about this, and even as a pastor said, Lord, I, I still feel like a rookie. And I feel like the Holy Spirit said, you're going to feel like a rookie forever. You need to feel like a rookie. You need to stay humble, but in great humility. Next. This is how we can face God's judgment with confidence until the next one. Having a continual right heart in relationship with God. And this means complete, total, unconditionally surrendered relationship with Jesus. 
thing and right relationship that it breaks your heart that anything that interferes, even when I struggle and I sin, that, that God, I don't want it to break down my relationship with you. It's not that you, if you struggle, God says, okay, you're not saved anymore, away with you. Okay, you're back. That was how I was raised. Away with you, you're back. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. That's what I was doing as a kid. But when you are humble before the Lord, he loves humility. That's why I think humility is the greatest key to the people. Humility is the greatest key to the people. I need him every day. And when I walk in humility, I touch with his heart. And when I struggle, I say, Lord, help me. He's there to Forgive me and help me along the way. Unconditionally surrender relationship with Jesus. Next, last one, we're going to pray. Repentant realization of our daily need of Him. Repentant realization, God, I need you. Without you, I am nothing. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know my heart is dark. That's what Paul says, I struggle in my flesh. I need Jesus. In other words, when you're blowing it, don't make excuses, don't make justifications, and don't make your own standards. God, you are the one, you are the judge, you are the lawgiver. Your standards and your parameters are for my good because you love me. You guys, I'm telling you, if you walk in these, you can stand confidently on that day. But when you stand before God, you're going to hear the words, well done. Stay humble before we stand. Part of being in church, part of being a body, part of what I do as a preacher is that I'm preparing you for eternity. It's kind of a weighty thought, isn't it? Because I'm going to stand before God, I'm going to give an account to how I prepared you for eternity. And I do not want to stand before God and Him saying, You didn't tell them. God forbid. You didn't tell them. And again, these things are not intended to weigh us down with an unholy fear. Don't let the enemy do that, but to say, God, thank you that you're a righteous judge. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you have standards and parameters for my good. Thank you that you don't want me running towards the street and, and walking in danger, but you love me and you want abundant life for me. So my encouragement to you today is whatever you need to do to be in right relationship with God, do it. And that can be maybe you're here and you're not really, you're not really walking with God. You're not really in a relationship with God. And those things that, you know, that, I, that I put up there, you'd say, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't think I've ever really done it. I've never really given my life to Christ and surrendered and unconditionally said, here's my life. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Also, you might be here and you might, been, you, you might have gotten saved when you were three and you were 73. Don't let that be as you can be in the church. And you notice that that's why I gave that passage where Jesus has that fearful warning of people that might be saying, Lord, Lord. They're saying with their mouth and they use the word, Lord, Lord. And they might have you, you might be either gifted to do things, but are, do you really belong to Him? That we know you. And, and, and the idea here is to check your heart. 
admit to God, you know, that, Lord, I, I can be deceived. I can mess up. Without you, I am off on my own doing all kinds of things, even spiritual things that might look great. But ultimately, the good news is God wants to know us. He's made a way for Jesus to know us. That when you look at the cross and you're reminded of the cross, the cross separates Christianity from all of the religions in the world. All of the religions basically has the tenet of that if you do enough good to outweigh your bad, that somehow that there's a scale that you're on that you can, the only problem is you're never, ever going to do good enough. And God in His sovereignty and His love for us, and His love for us as a loving Father, here's what He did about our brokenness. He sent His Son down, and He says, rescue them, die for them. I'm going to pour out judgment upon you. You're going to endure it because I love them so much. And he offers us this gift of salvation. You've never received that. But today you are not right with God. I encourage you to be right with God. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we honor you today as a righteous judge. Lord, I pray that each one of us would do whatever's on our heart, God, that, that we can be confident that as we stand before you on the day before we will give an account, that, Lord, we would be in right relationship with you. Lord, not running to, well, I just need to be nice to you, I need to be better, I need to be more good, but, Lord, to receive your goodness, to receive your life and relationship, Lord, and then out of that we do good. But, Lord, I pray that we would run away from those things as extreme and run to you as our righteous judge. God, I pray for each person here today, God, that for whatever they need to do in their own hearts before you, Lord, in the quietness of their own hearts, that God, I give you all that I am. I am going to surrender my life to you. I want you to be in charge, not me anymore. I don't want to be God in my own life anymore. I want you to be God. They would receive your loving grace. Before, before we go, and if you need to go, I understand that.